My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to the Christopher Peter Review, where you will experience original podcasts discussing salient current events with a focus on the facts, evidence, and available data of the topics and issues selected. In this podcast episode, I am going to discuss the state of our society, focusing on the key issues that are driving the situation and ideas on how to solve them. It is one thing to identify the problems, and another to solve them and that is what I will attempt to do. Let us begin another episode of the Christopher Peter Review. Each year, our President presents a State of the Union address as prescribed by our Constitution providing the nation an update of the condition of the nation and the agenda for the coming year. As we all know, that speech is not reality based on the actual conditions we all experience daily, but one meant to advance a political narrative that promotes their person delivering the speech and their agenda. The nature of our political environment is the exchange of narratives used to shape how the public thinks about the performance of our elected officials especially heading into major election cycles. For instance, the common theme that many members of the Biden economic team are messaging to the American people is that the state of the American economy is good and that people just are not understanding the facts of the situation. Part of the Beatonomics messaging campaign. This is a common promotional campaign where you sort of blame the audience to try to shift the scope or perception around performance. So what is the basis for making the claim that Beatonomics is working for the American public? And is their argument valid? reasonable, or completely dishonest. The Beatonomics plan is really just a rebranding of the failed and fledgling Build Back Better agenda that Joe Biden ran on that the American public thoroughly rejected. For the White House, it centers around making smart investments in America, empowering and educating workers, and promoting competition. The smart investments must be the funds related to the new Green Deal. Obviously, the empowering workers bit is their support of unions and union labor and the competition is their stance against mergers and acquisition and anti-corporation policies. Backers of the program claim the policies have made economic progress that the public is not recognizing, like reducing the cost of housing for young people, raising wages, and addressing inflation. But is that true? The cost of housing has not decreased when you consider that the average cost of rent is increasing nationwide and home ownership is becoming more costly than ever before. The only reason why people are seeing any nominal wage growth is because of inflation and the fear of working that emanated from the pandemic, where people needed a real financial incentive to return to in-person work in fields that deal with an influx of people. The growth rate of inflation is down, thanks to the Federal Reserve, but the impact of inflation is basically normalized. The reason why the American public is not accepting the Beatonomics messaging is simply because the message is not based on the truths they experience on a daily basis. The wage growth experienced by a shrinking pool of lower-wage workers is being drastically offset by the declining value of job offers in what normally are middle-class positions. Fast food companies may be paying a lesser number of people higher wages, but the real drivers of the economy are seeing their job offers decline and layoffs at home for higher middle-class positions. The reason why people do not believe a lie is because the truth is so obvious. By any real measures of economic performance, the American economy is not doing well and the public policy put in place by the Biden administration is a great contributor to the current situation. The real wage values are declining because you are paying more for critical goods and services that exceed any growth in wages. We are seeing a higher usage of credit because the real wages are depressed because of inflation. And that cost of that credit usage is another added fee reducing the available funds for hard-working taxpayers. The value of retirement assets are down and people near retirement or in retirement are having to rethink their strategies because of the rising costs. Now, one can talk about the slowing of the growth of inflation. That is a positive. But that does not mean that inflation is going away or the impact of the increase in inflation is alleviated. Inflation is always present. But the rate slows when the base year is changed. 
so the real concern is the elevated cost consumers, producers, and others are facing. Political semantics try to make voters feel like inflation is behind them. But it is not. If inflation was our only problem, then maybe the way Americans feel about our current state would be more positive and hopeful. Our communities are plagued with uncontrolled crime, which is impacting our cities, towns, and rural areas as well. Crime is not new to America but it is growing because criminals no longer feel like they are actually going to face any level of accountability. As we have talked about before, policymakers have placed the feelings of criminals and their sympathizers above the victims and society's responsibility to provide justice. Unfortunately, our domestic policies are not the only area of failure. The global reputation of America cannot be doing so well when we continue to look to others for solutions and give the bad actors the first mover advantage. We flubbed our withdrawal from Afghanistan, leaving allies and their staff behind to deal with the consequences. Our weakness towards Russia, China, and Iran has Russian soldiers in Ukraine and recently experienced Hamas-backed Palestinian fighters invade Israel, funded by Iran, who just unjustly received $6 billion in a poorly negotiated hostage deal. America is not experiencing a society built back better, an economy built for the future, or our position as the global force for freedom and democracy preserved. They are seeing and experiencing the predicted failure in governance right in front of their own two eyes. The problem is not the audience's inability to understand the message. But the fact that the message is not accurate when compared to what people see and experience. And that the people in power clearly are not performing up to expectations. So where do we go from here? What is the alternative? There are many different things we could do instead of the status quo, but what is the right or optimal path forward? Now let us bring in Jennifer for a conversation on this subject. National elections are just held to elect the people tasked with fixing the problems we face, but to enact the policies we prefer and deliver the results that we expect. That is important to understand the people we vote for do the job we elect them to do and in the manner we expect them to proceed in. Now, in today's conversation, we are going to discuss the five most top-of-mind issues facing our society and economy, evaluate proposed solutions and project the right path forward. Obviously inflation is one. Crime is another. Immigration is a problem. Our national debt and finally the ability to govern. Starting with inflation. As I just stated, inflation is a natural occurrence. Normally we consider inflation well managed when it remains at or below 2% because that will make the increase in costs below the typical growth of our economy. Inflation is generally caused when demand for goods and services exceed the supply so therefore the market prices rise to attempt to temper the demand meaning the market prices rise so the demand may slow enough to allow producers to adjust capacity to meet the unmet demand. In our recent situation, inflation was largely spurred by the lifting of the pandemic restrictions. But also fueled by poor public policy that provided free money in the form of stimulus funds and extended unemployment for people who wanted to remain sheltered in place. Doing so meant that the producers and providers would never be able to balance supply capacity with skyrocketing demand because the market price maneuvers would not temper demand when the government subsidizes the market. Therefore, the market price needed to slow demand would continue to increase. Because people would continue to demand goods and services. At the same time, the supply market was impacted by poor public policy and global challenges at the very same time. Our relationship with China was a rocky one and the pandemic made it even more challenging to get materials in and out of the manufacturing communist state. Whether real or politically motivated, supplies and other materials were not readily available. At the same time, our elected officials enacted public policy changes that reduced domestic production of energy products and leasing to operate the production as well. Combined with the inability to stop the Russian invasion and then join the boycott of Russian energy, our producers were hit pretty hard. 
So when you hear people say inflation is a government-created problem. To some degree it was. Because public policy changes fueled demand at the same time as restricting supply. When you do that, on purpose, by accident, or simply due to incompetence, then you end up with uncontrolled inflation. So what can we do about inflation? Inflation is traditionally addressed by monetary policy managed by the Federal Reserve, which occurred with the recent increases in the interest rates. The whole idea is to increase the cost to the point where consumers are priced out of markets, and therefore the demand is lowered because the cost of money is too high to spend normally. This makes the tempering happen more suddenly. Otherwise, inflation would continue and grow. The first attempt to address inflation from a fiscal policy approach was to impact the energy aspect of the inflation problem. Using our strategic petroleum reserve. That was a strategic misstep as it is now depleted and the market price increased beyond the target point to replenish it. Now, there is some moderate progress in addressing the growth of inflation. The growth rate is slowing down to a point closer to the desired 2% target. And employment has still remained overall stronger than expected fueling hope that a recession is avoidable. The challenge is that inflation issues are still around us. The level of cost is still high, which is causing issues in the credit market as people are using more of their credit limits. Something not helpful is millions of Americans are preparing to start paying monthly payments for their student loans. Also, the increased interest rates are harming housing, rent levels, and automobile purchases. Now that the strategic petroleum reserve is depleted, there are fewer gimmicks to use in how we respond to the inflation issues. I think the Federal Reserve may need to raise rates again, which will continue to increase the likelihood of a recession. While there are positive signs to hold our hope, it appears to simply be the calm before the storm. A recession is coming as companies are doing more layoffs, lowering the salary offers of new hires, and reducing available positions. Now, the recession might not be as disastrous as past ones but it seems like one is coming. So what can we do? Now is not the time to continue limiting our domestic energy production. Rather it is the time to increase it, which will hopefully have some impact by the end of 2024. We need to cut spending on non-essential policy areas and stop propping up political pet companies. Spending cuts are not popular amongst the left, but it is necessary. With the increased interest rates, the cost of debt is reportedly going to grow into annual payments of $1 trillion, which would be almost 20% of the annual budget. We need to stop fueling inflation and stop providing free money. It is a tough pill to swallow for sure. But we need to think long-term. Addressing spending is an important approach to not only fight inflation, but to provide stability to our taxpayers, certainty for our financial markets, and opportunity for millions of Americans. The knee-jerk reaction of the political left would be to seek tax increases. But this is not the time to increase taxes. There are times when it does make sense to increase taxes, but not when the economy is stagnant or on a downward spiral. That is not a political take but an economic reality. Many people fall victim to the idea that higher taxes are good for the economy. Higher taxes are good for the government. That provides higher revenue for the spenders of taxpayer funds. But the economy is driven by consumer spending not government spending. In fact, when you increase taxes, the effect is that there is a direct correlated reduction in economic activity because it is an increased cost in the same manner as inflation. Hence why some people call inflation a tax. Now, people will say that the reduction in economic activity will be offset by government spending. Not really, government spending will include debt payments and other non-growth generating areas. 
meaning that the result of that spending is money coming out of the government coffers that will not generate taxable activity down the road. Rather, keeping money in the hands of the taxpayers will more likely create taxable economic activity because they will either save the funds, create capital opportunities, purchase taxable goods or services, or invest into growth. Some will be non-growth like paying down bills, but generally the data shows that taxpayers keeping their money has a positive economic effect compared to government spending. But the government does have to spend money. The federal and state governments are tasked with providing essential services like national defense, public safety, public education, and services for those in need. They need to maintain public roads, bridges, infrastructure, and protect our economy from corruption here and abroad. That is neither free nor lowering in cost. We cannot cut spending enough to address our problems but we certainly cannot raise taxes to address the problem. We need to reform government spending in a manner that can lower the overall national debt, reduce government dependence, and still provide essential government services. The only memorable time that the federal government has cut the growth of the federal budget in a meaningful way was during the sequestration period. Since there is little hope that Republicans or Democrats will enact any reasonable budget cuts, maybe we should revisit sequestration and start there. The focus of budget cuts should be centered on eliminating programs that do not add any real value or simply cater to an ideological political agenda. Not every dollar the federal government spends is essential. And the government should not be spending taxpayer dollars to prop up industries. Americans should have an issue with the federal government spending vast resources to prop up the green industry while using regulations to harm the energy industry. The market should decide winners and losers, not bureaucrats seeking to benefit from pet projects. They are going against the will of the American consumers. The green companies can be a positive for society but the government should not be manipulating competition to benefit certain providers. That is the same market manipulation that they would take action against if done by a private sector provider. For instance, they are taking action against Amazon for keeping prices low, in the same manner the government does in healthcare, but the Green New Deal will raise the cost of energy and transportation on the average consumer. Great hypocrisy. Essentially, we are adding to the debt, while negatively impacting the growth of a free market industry at the expense of the well-being of the American people. While it is easy to suggest an obvious cut like the green subsidies, much of the programs that will need to be trimmed or eliminated will be hard to determine. There is a great deal of talk about the growing deficits and the need for spending cuts, the actual programs trimmed or eliminated will be defended by lobbyists trying to protect their interests. For instance, the big spending advocates will continue to push for the federal government to cover the cost of student loan debt. But, the people who applied for the debt should pay that debt. Hopefully, colleges will focus their programs on the fields that the economy is hiring and develop the skills that employers actually are seeking. Not really a big market for undeserved entitlement and affluenza. Every able-bodied American and resident needs to be working for their living and we need to focus our social programs on the people who are unable to work because of real disability or they are past their working days. We need to reserve those funds for our retirees, retired veterans, current service members who are wounded. The longer politicians lack the will to reduce spending the harder and more consequential their decisions will need to be. The best choices may be to enact caps on spending across the board and limit the growth of spending. I believe one of the areas that should not see their budget cut is the spending on crime prevention and law enforcement. One thing I will never do is be sympathetic towards people who commit crimes against others. There are no victimless crimes. Just victims people want to ignore. I do not accept that crimes done based on circumstances are acceptable. 
there are many people under the same circumstances that hold themselves to better standards. Now, I do believe that those tasked with enforcing our laws need to ensure that they are not using excessive force. Our traditional values on justice where the accused is afforded the presumption of innocence and due process. We cannot ignore that there may be some biases that cause people to act inappropriate at times. But I think we need to not assume that every incident is a conclusive sign that our justice system is flawed rather than the extremely rare instances of system failure. The consequences of policymakers mistakenly accepting of the mob mentality is being paid by hard-working Americans who are seeing their businesses destroyed, robbed, and the safety of their workers challenged. We are seeing communities lose keystone businesses because it is not safe for employees or customers. The ideologues who have gained prominent roles in determining whether suspects are prosecuted need to stop circumventing due process and prosecute these alleged suspects. They represent the interests of the people not the criminals and certainly not the special interests backers who are overly sympathetic to the criminal element. Our communities need to have proper amounts of police patrol to provide a visible deterrent for criminals. They need to have strong laws and penalties to remove those who harm our people, their property, and our businesses. Violent offenders should never remain free to harm others. Crime is not something that we should ever learn to live with, rather something that those elected to public office seek to mitigate and hold those responsible accountable and enact a severe and consistent cost to those who are convicted of crime. I think we can have a justice system that is fair and just and have lower crime rates if we can balance the need to enforce our nation's laws and hold all people accountable for the criminal behavior they perform. Too many people let their emotions completely outweigh rational thought and this is where we ended up. Many of our cities are no longer safe to visit. Too many of our cities are impacted by district attorneys who hold radical views on law enforcement or are funded by people who do. The public does not want you to pretend to lower crime by not prosecuting it. Or changing the way you report it. They want to see it stop happening and people prosecuted and removed from society. We are at a point where one can reasonably question whether the people in power are able to differentiate the good people from the bad people. There are people in power who want to jail people for decades for using the wrong pronouns but will allow violent criminals to walk right out of jail to continue the activities that put them in the crosshairs of our justice system. There are people who believe that identity politics has a role in solving this problem but it really does not. The simple common sense approach is if a crime is proven to occur then prosecutors should move forward with accountability regardless of the demographics of the criminal suspect or victim. Identity politics sometimes does play a negative role in the outcomes, but using it to determine who gets prosecuted is foolish. Because the idea that all races do the same crimes with the same frequency is viewed purposefully naive of the differing value systems, economic environments, and acceptable behaviors of different groups, all of which impacts whether one will commit crime or not. There is no race that is completely free of criminal activity but the range of crimes committed and probability using ties towards other factors than race. A more fruitful approach may be to understand the environmental factors that influence criminal activity and try to address those factors. Like poverty, lack of education, acceptance of immorality, and the family structures. Addressing these factors can help turn people away from crime. But these are not easy to fix. Otherwise, solutions would have already been implemented. We must stand on the side of protecting society and securing justice for the victim. Not lose perspective due to rare occurrences. Hold people accountable for the crimes they commit, regardless of demographics or role in society. Entering a nation without permission or crossing a border without proper paperwork is usually a crime in most nations. It is commonly stated that a nation without secure borders is not a nation at all. And we are seeing that across the world today. 
Russia violated the sovereignty of Ukraine by sending soldiers across its western border to launch an illegal invasion. Recently, the Hamas-backed Palestinian forces illegally crossed the Israeli border to launch a terrorist attack and start a war. An invasion reportedly approved and funded by Iran, who is the chief sponsor of terrorism in the region. I want to state firmly that our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Israel and champion their effort to hold these terrorists accountable. Border security is important to a nation's overall national security and viability as a sovereign society free of threats from other nations who wish to do harm or inflict danger. There are many consequences resulting from our lax southern border, which the Biden administration has caused the greatest illegal immigration crisis in a long time. Many deaths associated with drugs like fentanyl linked to illegal smuggling or cartel activity exploiting citizens. The progressive left wants to maintain a narrative that every illegal immigrant is simply looking for opportunities not available at home and are safe. If that were true, then why not use legal means of immigration? People who commit crime are not safe or simply looking for opportunity. If they cannot be trusted to follow immigration laws, do we really believe they are going to follow other laws? There are many rapes, murders, and other violent acts being attributed to illegal immigrants who are repeat offenders. Our elected officials at all levels have a responsibility to American citizens. Not to the criminal element. They need to remember that when they advance false narratives trying to normalize this criminal activity. For dreamers, I think there can be some level of compassion. But I believe we need to not encourage the activity going forward. We made the mistake with amnesty and the problem still persists decades later. We need border security, greater enforcement, and hold nations sponsoring the activity held accountable if they are unwilling to assist in addressing the problems. Essentially our taxpayers are bearing the burden of governing malpractice by nations like Mexico, Venezuela, and others who are the source for these illegal migrants. In exchange, these nations are seeing currency flow back to their economies through family support or even illegal kickbacks to compensate for the supply chain that brought them here. This has to end. Our communities clearly can no longer support this unsustainable problem. First off, I want to say that I too support our ally in Israel and hope they bring justice to those evildoers. If we do not secure our borders, then we too may face another threat here as well. As clearly shown, there are radicals here who support terrorists, people who marched in Times Square this weekend. There is a misconception that people who advocate for border security are against immigration. Or they are racist against people outside of the United States. The truth of the matter is that people who come here illegally are not only violating our immigration laws but also unfairly cutting the line ahead of those who are pursuing legal entry into the United States. A nation must know who is coming across their borders. That is just a fact and a reality. There is a myth that everyone crossing the border is safe and simply looking for opportunities unavailable in their own communities. But the facts and data show that the narrative is simply not true. A significant number of drugs are seized and people who are known criminals or terrorists are apprehended. And these are only the people that are caught by border security. We must know the people crossing our border and our society must remove people who did not come here legally regardless of who they bring with them. That is a must at this point. We have enough domestic criminals that we do not need to continue importing more. Now, I am sure there are a segment of these individuals who are trying to simply provide a better life for their families but so are the people who are waiting to legally enter. We should not ever allow criminals to get a better spot in line ahead of legal immigrants. There is a saying that if you cannot be trusted with the little things then how can you be trusted with the big things? If you break some laws, you will undoubtedly break other laws given the chance. They should not get the chance. People want others to follow the same rules as everyone else. 
and we should not allow people to game the system. If you are truly about fairness and compassion, then be fair and compassionate towards the people that make the right decisions first. Do not allow others to cut the line. Now, the final topic for our conversation is determining which of our two leading political parties demonstrate the best ability to govern at this moment and since the start of the most recent congressional session. I think both have shown clear flaws in judgment and leadership. Both have major policy blind spots that are important to consider. For instance, the Congressional Democrats are largely responsible for the current plight of our American society and our economy. The legislation that is guiding our spending and what we are spending on is troubling and harming the economy. And the party embraces radical ideologies. Especially their support for anti-Israel entities and extremist elements and ideologies. On the other hand, Republicans are not able to perform team politics. They are willing to bring an institution to a complete halt over party infighting. Voters should have real concerns that they might not be able to govern effectively. Even if you are the most adamant supporter of limited government, you still need a government to be able to operate. You cannot have a nation or society completely free of government services. So the question really comes down to whether you want a party that is becoming more radical and dangerous or a party that quickly comes apart at the seams if there is an internal difference of opinion. I think this just adds to the sentiment of choice see neither party. There are question marks on both sides to be completely honest. I am not sure how much voters can trust either party right now. And they are becoming so rigid in their ideology. In regards to the Republican drama, I think it is healthy to have differing points of view. I think Democrats are becoming too monolithic in a manner where they are far away from the mainstream or even the average person, who they now despise. But you have to be able to balance your competing visions with what is best for the overall delegation and more importantly what is best for the people who voted for you and those who will be impacted by your final decisions. From a policy perspective, the Republicans are closer to the right path on economic, domestic, and security issues that we are facing. I am not sure Democrats have a stance on issues that are really appealing to the public. They are claiming the economy is doing well when we know it is not. As expected, they are following the lead of Joe Biden or the person handling Joe Biden, but they are wrong on so many issues. Consider the fact that the administration just gave $6 billion to the nation that gave the okay for the biggest terrorist attack on our biggest ally in the region. Also, the anti-Semitic views held by the squad and other prominent members of the party. Not a good look for the party. So to answer the question, I'm not sure there is a clear party that can be viewed as the best to govern. If I had to choose, it would definitely be the Republicans because their messaging aligns better with the issues at hand. The real issues. Thank you Jennifer. We will reconvene on the next conversation that will be featured on our next podcast episode. There were many positives that were a direct result of globalization. For instance, many impoverished nations elevated the social conditions by engaging in foreign trade, providing needed services in exchange for needed goods or services that could not be domestically produced. As such, the global economy grew as a whole for the most part. That saying a rising ocean raises all boats. Many thought that a world interconnected by economic interests would also be less likely to go to war with each other because there is more to lose if nations are recklessly engaged in military conflicts. In my past podcasts, I made that same claim as well. But there is clear recent evidence that economic ties are not deep enough to replace historical concerns. Economic ties are not strong enough to overcome cultural hatred ingrained from generation to generation by radical extremists. In the current environment, the interconnected world is coming apart. As these historical disagreements boil over, the ties that bind no longer bind. In that light, we need to really think about who we are doing business with nowadays. 
we as Americans must determine who is the end beneficiary of the products we buy and where the profits are being held. Is it an American-based company, where our economy and society will benefit, or is it overseas with a nation who may sponsor terrorism, or at the very least oppress their own people and commit a variety of different human rights violations? There is no denying that the optics are bad when a government gives $6 billion to a nation and then that nation is involved with the planning and approving a terrorist attack on our ally. The people questioning the release of funds have legitimate gripes. In this environment, we need to really think about who we do business with. We should only do business with nations that align with our values and are not threats to our society or our allies. The idea that if we engage with them they will change their minds? No they will not. Some of these nations hold generational hate that is passed down. The hug an enemy approach will not work. It never does. The question for some is whether there are alternative sources for the goods or services that we procure from that region. And for the most part the answer is yes. And we had the alternative source already in place until the current administration decided for political reasons to once again make America reliant on dangerous regimes for our energy. Instead of providing the high-paying jobs and domestic energy production, we are importing from nations that will take our money but not blink an eye when they see our interests harmed. Our allies attacked. They cheer it on. That is not who should be receiving our support and trade. Many people constantly say that America cannot police the world, a sentiment from both sides of the political spectrum but it falls on us when we rely on questionable partners for vital goods. And then elected officials need to make an appearance that the people we are buying from are good people, when their actions say otherwise. In the presence of new information, we need to adjust our thinking. We can be energy independent at the same time as developing more sustainable solutions. One solution does not have to be the enemy of the other. We just need to make sure we are not doing business with our enemies. That is the real key here. A big thank you to all of you in the audience. Your viewership is appreciated and valued. Please follow the Christopher Peter Review on social media and continue to visit www.crcreview.com for new episodes. Thank you once again. Until next time.